Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, mine website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 28 in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, August the 11th. First, I'll be talking to Barb Hyman from Sapia AI, an AI-driven recruiting program being used by some of Australia's biggest companies. And I'll be talking to ComSec chief economist Craig James about what's ahead in the market this week. But first, let's talk to Barb Hyman. Barb, tell us how AI can be used for recruitment. Well, so the way that we do it, Leon, is we have built something that's pretty exciting, which is the ability to understand people through language. It is a genuine innovation, quite unusual for a startup in Australia, let alone a startup of this size to actually create something that's globally unique. And it's something that IBM Watson tried to do for decades and couldn't. And the reason why we've done it is we have this incredible data, which is uh, text data that we've, we've, we've built some science around. And we're using AI in the form of natural language processing. So think Google. When you go into Google and you're typing something and it predicts what you're about to say next, that's in essence similar to what we're doing. The ability to understand from language what you're about to say next. And we apply that in a very simple five-question chat that a candidate applying for a job completes on their phone anytime they want, any time of day. A lot of people actually do it in the middle of the night with no time pressure. And from that, we can assess their fit for a job, their suitability for a job. And the best thing about it is that every candidate gets something back. They learn from that experience. They learn about themselves. We're we're raising the collective self-awareness of humanity through our technology. And you can do all of that through a text? Through a text chat. So it's mobile first, because that's where people live. You have to live these days. You have to meet people where they are. And most people are on their mobile phone most of the day. It's through five questions, questions that you would ask in an interview. Tell us about a time that you delivered amazing customer service. What did you learn from that? Um, tell us about a setback in your life. You know, how did you pick yourself up and and move forward from that? It's a structured interview, which is regarded as probably the high watermark of fairness and calibration. And we've built an experience around that. And that simplicity and that ease is what candidates love about it. And these are obviously great predictors of success because you use natural language programming. 
Is that right? Yeah. So what we do is that we work with a customer and they tell us what defines success for them. Most businesses know, and we know through our data, that there's a certain profile of success, a DNA, if you like, for someone working in customer service. And that's different to someone working in sales. And what we're able to do through our algorithms and our innovation is extract from your two to 300 words, that DNA. We can tell whether or not you're someone, Leon, who's a high critical thinker or a low critical thinker, someone who's high on humility or low. And that's what we're matching to is that profile that we've determined with you that you're looking for, for that role. And we can discover that with accuracy of 85% plus and without any bias. We don't use any CV data, no social media data. There's no information about you. You could be 50 or 10. Does it doesn't make a difference to the machine. What about the old fashioned resume? Does that play a role at all? No. This is this is a, a replacement for the CV in many different ways. And and we would argue that the CV is a pretty outdated data point, if you like, about someone. It doesn't really reveal who you are. It's it's pretty easily gameable these days. It's more of a description of what your school is that you went to, your GPA, the experience you've had, which much research, a lot of research shows is not predictive of performance. So if you're applying for a job to a company like Woolworths is using predictive hire, you don't need to submit your CV. It's irrelevant. Right. Even though your CV might show that you've had extensive experience working in retail, for example. Yes. But research has shown that the experience does not correlate with performance. And that, I think, is the challenge with hiring these days is that there's such a bias towards have you done this before as a predictor of are you going to be able to do this here? And some of our clients, you know, Energy Australia being a good one, consciously use us so that they don't buy, they don't recruit someone with past experience because they want a culture change. They don't want the same old people who go from one contact centre to another. They want the hairdresser who has the ability to stand up all day, engage with customers, Customers, incredible empathy, great listening skills. Why can't a hairdresser make a great call center operator? You know, that's that's the purpose. You get to see talent that no one else does, Leon. You discover undiscovered talent because you're not relying on the CV. You've gone quite rapidly, haven't you, over the last year? Yeah, look, we have been around for a few years now. It took us a while to build the product. You know, this is technology that's fueled by data and that data is data we needed to capture through working in partnership with some amazing Lighthouse customers like Qantas, you know, where they brought us in to replace a video tool that their candidates didn't didn't trust and didn't like. And they were desperate to find something that married to their consumer brand that worked. So it was a journey to do that. You know, we've gone from zero words, if you like, uh, a few years ago to now 700 million, which we expect to be at a billion in a few months. And if you're thinking about this from the perspective of what's the value of that data asset, well, it took Wikipedia uh, 18 years to get to 16 billion words. So that is our power. And that data set is what we continuously mine to learn more about people and provide more value to the customer. But we had to do that first before we could actually sell the product. So we hit product market fit during COVID and we've grown now 250% uh, in the last couple of years with no churn in the last few years, which is which is pretty exciting too. Now, so how did you develop this technology? Well, you have to experiment a lot. You know, we have a, a deep register of experiments that our Fire Labs team have, have done. The critical point was really when I hired Booty, who's my co-founder who came from Culture App. I'm sure you've heard of Culture App, really successful HR tech company. And he believed in the power of language, that language really reveals who we are. And for anyone who's an org psych or has worked in this space, psychometric instruments were all based on language. And he felt that if we could find a way to 
see signal in the words that people shared in response to questions, we could really solve this, this problem. This is interesting because I, I've noticed a lot of government agencies are now putting candidates through psychometric testing and which candidates are resisting quite furiously. Your technology actually solves that issue, doesn't it? It does. I mean, psychometric testing has been around for decades, but it's quickly been displaced by assessments like ours, which are also what you call multi-measure assessments, but they're a fundamentally transformative experience for candidates. You know, who wants to respond to 150 multi-choice questions? People want to share who they are. They want to share their story. We've had amazing success with the First Nations community because their culture is one of storytelling. So the ability to share who you are in a short chat, that's kind of what you do with your friends and families. So it's a very human experience. And that's that I think is going to really challenge psychometric, apart from the fact that psychometric has no learning capability. You know, when you're using AI, true AI, because I think AI has become a bit of a low fat label that gets slapped on everything. But there are many technologies out there that don't truly have that capability. Mostly it's about the learning. You're taking signals around performance. You're taking churn data and performance data and retraining it like Netflix does to get smarter and smarter. And psychometric doesn't have that capability. So that's another limitation of what I would call sort of a, a fairly traditional science approach. So who would your main customers be? And who, which customers are you looking for? So we, you know, we could support any customer, but, you know, given where we are, we're very focused at the moment on enterprise. Enterprise customers being businesses who are hiring more than 200 people in the same role every year and they get 10 times the volume of the candidates and they're looking to reduce costs because, you know, recruiters are harder to find than software engineers now. They're looking to do it faster because how quickly you fill a role really drives business performance. And they want to do it in a way that's really a beautiful experience. And that's really fair because as consumer brands, they need to do the right thing. So it's businesses that fit that profile. We're finding that retail, grocery retail, telco, insurance, you know, those tend to be the main group that are looking to us. But actually, public sector is becoming really interested in our tech. We work with a lot of federal government agencies as well. I was going to say the public sector would be huge on this. Uh, I could just imagine governments would actually really take to this quite well. They are, and uh, they're using it a lot in graduate recruitment because grads love the experience of this and they love the fact that they get the, the learning as well. And of course, government is bound to create a hiring process that is interrupting bias at every step of the way. So we're, we're seeing great response from government as well in Australia. I'll share one other anecdote with you because given sure. your background around corporate reporting, so we have had three different fund managers in the US reach out to us about wanting to get the API for our personality classifier, you call it, because they want to make decisions around investment based purely on personality of the CEOs. Fortune 500 YouTube videos transcribed and they've run our classifier through it because they only want to invest in, you know, humble, curious, inclusive leaders. So there are many other applications of this beyond the HR space. Well, thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Thanks, Leon. And now let's talk to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James. Well, Craig. What are your investors' signposts for the week coming up? Well, I think we can define it into two words, wages and jobs. Uh, we've got the wage price index coming out on Tuesday. That's for, for the uh, the June quarter. And then on Thursday, we've got the, the monthly employment figures, the month, monthly figures for, for July. If you look at the, the wage price index, which is the main measure of uh, wage growth in, in the economy, it's sitting at 3.7% at the moment, which is a little bit lower than some of the other estimates. If you look at SEEK, uh, they've got an estimate of around about 4.5%. Uh, so 
a little bit you know, sort of higher than you know, sort of that's the advertised salary index that comes out from Seek. But the official figures, the the wage price or the wage cost index is sitting at three point seven percent. We think it's possible that what we'll see in the the data the movement up to three point eight or three point nine percent. Not really shooting the lights out, but somewhere around about that four percent mark. Um, now, would the Reserve Bank be happy about that? Certainly, if productivity was running at a faster pace, it'd be happy about it. But um, uh, when you've got, um, you know, you want inflation somewhere between two and three percent, say two and a half percent. If you've got one percentage point in terms of productivity, then you can have wage growth of three and a half percent. If you've got something more, if you've got something like two percent productivity growth and add on two and a half percent in terms of inflation, where you can get up to four and a half percent growth in terms of wages. So, at the moment, I think the Reserve Bank would say wages are a little bit you know, on the high side. So wages is the, the key point on Tuesday. Uh, we've also got a measure of average weekly earnings, which are dollar figures on wages coming out on Thursday. But the other important uh, indicator is the monthly job figures, the employment and unemployment figures coming out on Thursday. Now, we've got a jobless rate, which is super low, near basically the lowest levels that were seen in 50 years, sitting at 3.5%. Uh, and we've had some really stellar gains in employment in previous months, almost 33,000 jobs created in June. Before that, it was 76,000. We had a small drip of 4,000 the month beforehand. And then the month before that, we had a rise of 71,000. So we've really been shooting the lights out in terms of employment growth. And we think we're going to see a little bit more of a slower growth in terms of um, jobs something in the region of 25 to 30,000. That's the sort of figure that we need to keep the unemployment rate from rising. So the unemployment rate may edge up to 3.6%, uh, but nothing really you know, sort of dreadful in terms of um, uh, the uh, the job market as, as yet. The note that the Reserve Bank expects that unemployment is going to soften over time with a softer economy and that unemployment rate will rise to somewhere around about 4.5%. But uh, if, if you look at, you know, sort of the job market still remains super strong. Wage growth is a little bit on the high side, but not dramatically so. So there's a lot of hand-wringing about our economy, but I think our economy is muddling along quite fine. You don't see any great spike in unemployment for some time? Well, not according to, to the latest uh, business surveys. Businesses are still passing on to some extent some of the cost increases, and a lot of the cost increases uh, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, were one-off measures. And uh, we're seeing a, a bit of a slowdown in terms of um, inflation, the latest reading down from 7% to 6%. The Reserve Bank believes that we are on track to, in basically a year's time, a bit over a year's time, see that inflation rate back around about 3% you know, to the top end of the target band. So I don't think if we see modest easing of the economy, modest slowdown of the economy, modest rise in terms of unemployment, uh, it won't be anything too dramatic. And uh, well, I suppose we can only go on the business surveys and businesses are telling us, you know, so still saying that it's, it's hard to find the, the workers that are, that are needed, that the uh, business conditions remain you know, relatively good. Uh, it's just confidence levels, business confidence, consumer confidence aren't overly great at present. So what does that mean for the RBA? Well, for the Reserve Bank, I think they're, they're basically on hold now for, for interest rates until 2024. Uh, there had been a lot of um, speculation ahead of the, the last uh, board meeting about uh, where uh, the, uh, the interest rates are likely to go, uh, some suggesting as high as 4.6%. But um, a lot of the um, economists around town now are saying probably has peaked the cash rate at 4.1%, could get up to... 4.35%, uh, 
And that's where the risk lies. The risk still lies in terms of higher interest rates rather than lower interest rates for the simple fact that inflation is above the, the target band. Um, um, but um, the Reserve Bank, um, I think they would look at those sorts of figures and say it's pretty much line with what we're expecting. And they, of course, that's a, the, the, they set policy on their expectations. And if um, the, the figures are meeting their expectations, then there's no need for the Reserve Bank to do anything further. So the next movement won't be until next year. That probably won't see interest rates going up but going down. Would that be right? Well, yeah, I think that is right. But the, the Reserve Bank has basically said there's a number of indicators that they look at. They're looking at the job market and seeing how the job market's faring. Of course, they're looking at inflation. They're looking at consumer spending. And of course, there's a lot of uncertainty about consumer spending. Some consumers are in great shape at the moment. They're squirreled a lot of money away in the, uh, the COVID uh, period. Uh, they haven't spent a lot of that. A lot of people got their home loans down uh, to uh, lower levels. Uh, so they're, they're able to meet their commitments quite nicely. Others are facing more difficulty, because, uh, particularly because they've got to roll over uh, their, their um, fixed rate you know, sort of home loans. But the other thing that the Reserve Bank is going to be looking at is the global economy. And next week, we, we do have, uh, or in the coming week, we have figures on retail sales in the United States on Tuesday. We've got industrial production on, on the Wednesday. And we've got the last minute or minutes of the last Federal Reserve meeting happening on Wednesday as, as well. So some key things, key activity readings to, to focus on. Uh, we've also got some data out of uh, China to, to watch out for in terms of what's happening in terms of the Chinese economy. So focus is very much on China and the United States about uh, what's going in China. The, the July, what we call the data dump occurs on, on Tuesday and everything bar the kitchen sink is recorded, retail spending and production, yes, and the like. Um, of course, um, the other thing that um, the Reserve Bank can look closely at is what businesses are saying about what they're doing at the moment. And it's the profit reporting season. We've got a lot of companies reporting their earnings over the coming week. I think the Reserve Bank analysts are going to be scouring those um, uh, profit announcements very, very closely just to see what price pressures are there, what pressures there are in terms of profits, um, uh, how tight the job market is, all those sorts of things. And we can get that. Um, the, these are people, that, this is businesses at the coalface rather than statistics from the Bureau of Statistics. These are actual businesses out there uh, competing against other businesses and facing difficulties in terms of the economy. And, uh, and of course, that's what the Reserve Bank is going to look closely over the next couple of weeks as well with the profit reporting season. Well, I mean, the profit reporting season's just started this week. I mean, what's your assessment of it so far? Well, it's so far it hasn't disappointed in a great way, although what it hasn't done is surprised on the upside. So a lot of the companies that have reported their earnings on the day of the, the, the report of their earnings, their share prices tended to go down rather than go up. Uh, so it basically suggests that they're meeting expectations but not beating expectations. In the United States, we had a difference as kettle of fish we had uh, beating expectations in terms of the U.S. profit reporting season. Uh, but uh, we've still got a few more weeks to, to go, and we'll see you know, sort of how um, Australian companies are faring. That'll be interesting to see. And, and of course, that, that'll be a great indicator of where the economy is heading. Yes, my word. You know, sort of, um, we'll see what um, the outlook statements are from the businesses. That gives us a sense of where they think they're go going and where the economy is going as well. I think, I mean, the, the economy seems to be travelling okay. Uh, some weeks ago, Comeback was predicting a 50% chance for recession, as was AMP. What do you think now? 
Uh, no, I think that was an uppercase uh, expectation. Uh, the the central case was something around about thirty uh, percent. I think it's probably lower than that now, probably ten to twenty percent. Same in the United States. A lot of things have happened. Things have settled down. Yes, a lot. And um, even in the United States, there's not. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This fear of recession... So I think that has these basically because the job markets have held up quite nicely. And if only we can get that inflation rate down, uh, people spending less, uh, supply and demand moving into to balance, people retain their, their jobs. Um, that means the economy continues to go forward at just at a slower pace uh, with uh, fewer inflationary pressures. So, so I think the economy is muddling along quite fine. You've got to remember the word a budget surplus of around about $20 billion. We've got a trade surplus as well. We've got super low level of unemployment. We've got inflation coming down. Consumers continue to spend. Businesses are continuing to invest. So um, it's not, certainly not a dour picture in terms of our, our economy. Indeed. And um, the RBA is talking about inflation getting down to about, what, 3% uh, around about 2025. Is that, is that realistic? Or? We believe so, providing the economy does continue to slow. If there's less in terms of demand, there's less potential for businesses to um, hike up their prices if um, cost increases uh, are restrained as well again less reason for businesses to hike their their um, uh, prices and then you get um, some um, CPI variables something like 0.6.7 percent per per month instead of up around about one or one and a half percent per month and you'll see that the uh, show that inflation rate falling to around about that three percent level Right, okay. Well, Craig, thank you very much for your time. Not a problem at all. Thank you. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, the tax office first raised its concerns related to the conduct of PwC's tax division with Luke Sayers on August 29, 2019, when Second Commissioner Jeremy Hershorn urged the firm's then-CEO to personally review the internal emails. This was the first of three meetings between the two men detailed in a timeline. The timeline provides new details of a years-long fight between the tax office and PwC executives over the actions of the firm's tax division. The Tax Practitioners Board ruled that a former partner in that division, Peter Collins, shared secret government information that was by PwC personnel to advise clients on how to sidestep new tax laws. The extent of the breach of confidentiality was revealed in May when the Australian Financial Review reported on a cache of internal PwC documents showing dozens of partners and staff were involved in the marketing multinational anti-avoidance tax law, MWAL, tax schemes based on information provided by Mr Collins. The ATO timeline shows that at a second meeting held on February the 20th, 
2020. Mr Sayers discussed the upcoming election of PwC's Chief Executive with Mr Hershorn two weeks before the then head of the firm's tax practice, Tom Seymour, was elected CEO of the firm. During the meeting, Mr Hershorn advised Mr Sayers that it was neither the tax officer's role nor was it appropriate for the agency to comment on the firm's election processes. The timeline also states that Mr Hershorn told Mr Sayers that the PwC board should ensure that it is fully abreast of the range of concerns the ATO has had with the PwC's tax group's behaviour. A source of PwC at the time said that the first meeting between Mr Sayers and Mr Hershorn was to help resolve the tension between PwC and the tax office relating to issues such as the firm's LPP claims and its aggressive tax structures. The source said that the second meeting involved Mr Sayers informing the tax office that Mr Seymour was likely to be the CEO. Mr Sayers relayed the tax office concerns about the firm's, about the firm's tax division to the firm's governance board, the sources say. Labor Senator Deborah O'Neill said that Mr Sayers either ignored this advice or, or the entirety of the PwC board failed to act on this information. It is now beyond doubt that for more than five years PwC had knowledge that senior members of the tax practice had inappropriately misused government information in an attempt to benefit private companies. Mr Sayers, who is now president of the Carlton Football Club and the founder and head of the Sayers Consulting Firm, has previously said he was not aware of the confidentiality issues that have since emerged with the international tax practice of PwC. The details of the 14-page response to questions by Senator O'Neill revealed that the ATO's concern about PwC's tax division date back to August 29, 2016. In this meeting with PwC tax partners and an unnamed client, the advisers had confirmed that they were responsible for a scheme to sidestep the multinational anti-avoidance law, MAAL, using foreign partnership. Uber restructured its Australian operations through a series of Dutch partnerships in December 2015, days before the NAAL came into effect. Former Deputy Commissioner Mark Konza told the firm and its client that, that structuring to avoid MAAL using foreign partnerships was seen as tax avoidance. The following day, Mr Hershorn met with PwC partner Peter Kaledja, then the firm's tax leader, and Tom Seymour, who was then the firm's Asia-Pacific America's tax leader, to discuss his concerns about the firm's MAAL scheme. On September 19, 2016, the ATO issued a formal order for PwC to provide information and documents about six tax schemes it had marketed, including at least three related to the MAAL. This began a battle between the ATO and PwC, which ran from October 2016 and 2022 during which the firm claimed legal professional privilege over tens of thousands of documents in response to 16 compulsory information gathering notices. The ATO contested the legal professional privilege claims and tested several of the claims in federal court. By October 4, 2017, the tax office had become aware that PwC partner Peter Collins was involved in MAAL consultations with Treasury and may have shared information subject to confidentiality obligations. In August 7, 2019, the ATO formally advised PwC that it was investigating the application of the promoter penalty laws regarding the marketing of MAAL schemes. Two weeks later, on August 29, Mr Hershorn told the meeting with Mr Sayers where he advised him to personally review the internal emails. In September 12, 2019, Mr Hershorn gave a scathing speech to PwC tax partners where he warned them that the big four firms harboured a small number of arrogant partners who disrupted the tax system with overly risky advice. The following day, Mr Seymour told the Financial Review that community expectations had changed about what was acceptable tax advice. He also said the firm would rein in the aggressiveness of its advisers. On June 5, 2020, the ATO formally advised PwC that it had concluded its promoter penalty laws review and would not take further action against the firm. Notwithstanding the conclusion of the review, the ATO raised several concerns with the firm, the timeline states.
On July the 2nd, the ATO formally referred Mr Collins for investigation by the Tax Practitioners Board. More than two years later, November 21, 2022, the ATO told PwC it would apply a penalty against the firm for false LPP claims. The ATO settled the penalty confidentiality on March 20, 2023, but did not inform the TPB or the Senate about this until June 5, 2023. From March 14 of this year, senior tax officers, including Mr Hershorn, repeatedly pressed the TPB to withhold a cache of PwC emails requested by Senator O'Neill. The settlement did not contain an undertaking or agreement to withhold information from the TPB or other agencies, the ATO statement said, nor did it include an undertaking or agreement to influence disclosures by the TPB to the Senate. KPMG overbilled an incorrectly charged defence for hours that would never have worked, reportedly wasting significant public funds on contracts that were extended with little or no scrutiny. The accusations aired in an episode of ABC's Four Corners on Sunday night alleged KPMG sought to overcharge defence by $1 million on a single proposal, charged for work never completed, and once billed for a consultant who wasn't in the project. Two anonymous whistleblowers told the program that defence personnel were complicit in blindly awarding multiple contract extensions to KPMG and claimed connections helped the firm win a big contract with the government. We discovered that every KPMG invoice reviewed was incorrect. Defence had been consistently overcharged. KPMG wasted a significant amount of public funds enabled by defence personnel complicit in blindly awarding multiple contract extensions to KPMG with little or no scrutiny, the first whistleblower wrote in a statutory declaration provided to the ABC. The second whistleblower, who spent two years working on defence projects, said there was a lot of rule-breaking being normalised. The revelations come after a huge scandal engulfed PwC when senior partners were found to have misused confidential Australian government information to assist multinational companies avoid paying more tax. The second whistleblower said KPMG were prepared to break the rules to win more business from the government. Ultimately, it's the taxpayers who are paying for this, he said. He also outlined a culture of harassment and bullying within the workplace. I tried to raise that within KPMG and it was rebuffed, he said. When he tried to report the matter to the KPMG whistleblower hotline, he claimed his contract was cancelled and he received no more work with the firm. And consulting firms caught promoting tax exploitation schemes will be fined up to $780 million, a 100-fold increase under the Albanese government's sweeping response to the PwC tax leak scandal. A two-year Treasury review of the regulation of all professional firms, the removal of secrecy laws hampering the tax office and more power for regulators are also part of the changes designed to fix a system deemed not fit for purpose. The big four firms on Sunday all welcomed the potential reforms, which Treasurer Jim Chalmers, Finance Minister Katie Gallagher, Attorney General Mark Dreyfus and Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones said amounted to the biggest crackdown on misconduct by tax advisers in Australian history. The PwC scandal exposed severe shortcomings in our regulatory frameworks, the Minister said in a statement. By increasing penalties, giving regulators stronger teeth to investigate and prosecute perpetrators and boosting transparency, collaboration and coordination within government, we're acting to restore public confidence and help prevent this from happening again. It marks the most substantive reaction to the PwC leaks, which have also triggered a criminal investigation by the Federal Police, two Federal and one State Parliamentary inquiries, and caused Federal Departments to terminate contracts with the big four firms. Tax promoter penalties for firms and individuals who market tax avoidance schemes have only been applied six times since they were introduced two decades ago, in part because of the high bar set in the legislation. The Government has also flagged the overlapping and largely ineffective regulation of Deloitte EY, KPMG and PwC could be coming to an end. 
Treasury will examine the governance obligations of these firms in areas such as transparency, executive responsibility, management of conflicts of interest, and dealing with misconduct. And the former Supreme Court judge who oversaw the inquiry into the rape trial of former Liberal staffer Bruce Lehrman may be referred to the ACT Integrity Commission and could face criminal charges over his dealings with the media. ACT Director of Public Prosecution Shane Drumgold, SC, who resigned on Friday following publication of damning findings about his conduct during the trial, may also face charges and could be struck off as a lawyer. A visibly angry ACT Chief Minister, Andrew Barr, on Monday formally released the 839-page report of the inquiry, along with his government's response, and expressed disappointment with its author, Walter Sofronoff, KC. Mr Barr said Mr Sofronoff had admitted to regularly briefing journalists during the inquiry and to handing over the final report to two outlets, resulting in the findings being published ahead of schedule. He described both as significant lapses of judgment, which could have serious consequences. There are many possible pathways, Mr Barr said. It might be that a full refer to the Integrity Commission to examine the conduct of the inquiry may be a pathway, or it may not. The government will seek advice on that. Asked whether he would like to see Mrs Sofronoff charged, the Chief Minister said the government was considering its options. The report delivered to the government last Monday found Mr Drumgold lied to Supreme Court Chief Justice Lucy McCallum during the abandoned trial of Mr Lerman, preyed on inexperienced prosecutors and acted in a way that was grossly unethical. In a statement on Sunday, Mr Drumgold slammed the conduct of the inquiry and disputed many of its adverse findings. However, he acknowledged his position as DPP had become untenable and resided effective September the 1st. ACT Attorney-General Shane Rattenbury made clear Mr Drumgold would not return to the role and indicated the matter was being considered by the Bar Association and Law Society, which have powers over legal practice. Geoffrey Watson, SC, Director at the Centre for Public Integrity, said he was absolutely appalled that Mr Drumgold had not been offered natural justice, a lapse that could undermine the whole inquiry. But there's also a chance that he could go to court now and have it set aside because he wasn't given natural justice, Mr Watson said on ABC Radio. The final report made 10 recommendations to improve the administration of justice in the ACT, eight of which the government adopted in full and two of which it has adopted in principle subject to broader consultation. The recommendations broadly cover possible amendments to ACT laws, development and refinement of guidelines and policies and training for those involved in the criminal process, including lawyers and police. Mr Lerman, whose rape charge was dropped after a mistrial last year, has always maintained his innocence. Mr Barr asked whether he still had confidence in Mr Sofranoff's judgment, said he was confident in the recommendations but not confident in relation to process around providing the information to journalists. Despite calls for all Mr Drumgold's past cases to be investigated, Mr Barr said a review of the 18 cases he handled since becoming DPP in 2019 indicated that that was not necessary. Other matters involved either agreed facts or guilty pleas. When asked about earlier cases, Mr Rattenbury said defendants in historic cases could raise specific concerns through existing judicial processes. The report found the investigation into the allegations concerning the Lehman trial were thorough but caused unnecessary pain to Ms Higgins and others, while ACT victims of Crime Commissioner Heidi Yates had been subject to unjustified public criticism because of the lack of understanding of her role. The report also found Mr Drumgold's allegations about the conduct of, a of ACT police, which sparked the inquiry process late last year, were not substantiated. The adverse suspicions that Mr Drumgold formed during his early interactions with the investigators predisposed him to see non-existent malignancy in benign interactions between the police and defence at the trial, the report said. The cost of a six-month public inquiry in time and money, in lost work and personal and professional consequences has been huge. 
and more than one in two firms in the retail, hospitality and construction sectors are at risk of going bankrupt in the next 12 months as high interest rates and a slowdown in consumer spending pile pressure on company finances. Research from credit bureau Ilion found that 14% of food service firms, 11% of construction companies and 10% of retailers were at high risk of failing in the coming year. Businesses' high risk of failing has about a 5% chance of going under in the next 12 months, which is about five times higher than a normal business. Ilion has access to invoicing and payment data for millions of commercial entities. The release of the research comes as the latest NAB business survey shows companies experienced a sharp increase in labour costs last month as a result of the 6.75% rise in award wages on July the 1st, which many businesses reported passing straight through to higher prices. The retail, hospitality and construction industries are at the forefront of the economic slowdown triggered by high interest rates and cost of living pressures. An increasing number of retailers, builders, accommodation and food service providers are falling behind on paying their suppliers, according to Ilion. About 3.8% of invoices paid in the last three months by accommodation and food service providers were more than 60 days overdue. Among retailers, 2.6% of invoices were paid late, while 2.4% of trade payments in the construction centre were overdue at the time of payment. And Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's backing of a public holiday for the Matildas, evoking Bob Hawke's famous declaration after the America's Cup win, is gaining support from the states, but employers say it will cost small business when they're doing it tough. New South Wales Premier Chris Minns on Tuesday embraced calls by Mr Albanese this week to have a public holiday if the soccer team wins the FIFA Women's World Cup final to be played on August 20th. Mr Albanese on Monday said he would push the proposal next week at National Cabinet and that he expected state and territory governments to fold like tents in support. The Prime Minister's push for a day off echoes the classic response of former Labor PM Bob Hawke all but declaring a national holiday after Alan Bond's Australia 2 yacht won the America's Cup in 1983, pronouncing that any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up today is a bum. In the statement, Mr Minns said that we'd love to back the Matilda with a public holiday and he would work with the other states and Commonwealth to get the right date. However, Australian Industry Group Chief Executive Innes Willocks said the proposal would force business to bear lost production as well as 250% penalty rates for those that need to keep working. And the profit reporting season continues. Australia's largest bank, Commonwealth Bank, has posted a record profit of $10.2 billion, up 5% on last financial year. Suncor has posted $1.148 billion in group net profit after tax in its 2023 full-year financial report. That compares to $681 million in the previous full year, 2022. Dex's convenience retail, REIT, reported a statutory net loss after tax of $8.4 million for the year into June 30, due to $41.3 million of asset devaluations. Dexus Industria REIT generated $300,000 in statutory net profit after tax in 2023 financial year, brought down by $56.3 million of net fair value losses on its investment properties. That equates to a 3.5% decline in the trust book's value. New Zealand fast food company Restaurant Brands is now expecting net profit after tax for FY23 to be in the, in the range of $12 million New Zealand dollars, that's $11 million Aussie, to $16 million New Zealand. CLP Group, the Hong Kong-listed owner of Energy Australia, said the retailer recorded operating losses of $160 million for the six months, ended June 30. 
Maya has upgraded its profit expectations by 15% to 21% to a range of 69 million and 73 million for the financial year 2023, according to its latest trading update. While Maya's net profit for the year will come in at $69 million to $73 million, up as much as 21%, only $4 million to $8 million was generated in the second half, it said in a statement to the ASX. And building products group James Hardy's net profit for the three months ended June 30 was down 3% to US $157.8 million, that's $240.1 million Aussie, compared with the same period a year ago. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Rowan Widdison, the Managing Director of New Laboratories. We'll be talking about supply chain issues. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver. In the meantime, you catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. If you want to contact me, email me at leon at leongetler.com. I answer all emails. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.